Carlo Tevez, Tevez da solo, Tevez, Tevez, Tevez è l'unico dell'aria, rimane fuori tutti Tevez! back to more than a game a podcast dedicated to the premier league the a league and more today on the show the unfortunate ending to man united's away trip to the king power both kazoo sponsored teams lose while some ex and current england internationals play like a couple of dodgy used cars i'm colby uh and i'm joined on the pod today by tommy c and jesse boys how are we we'll start with you first tommy um we we've been we've been chatting just before the pod about the, the freedoms that are coming up in Victoria and you, you're planning on a, a very frothy weekend. So you're looking forward to that? Oh, yeah, mate. There's, there is going to be some frost going down, Ray and John, on Thursday. Oh, sorry, on Friday and, and Saturday night, that's for sure. Um, I'm not, I don't think I'm at, yet at the point where I would line up outside a pub on Thursday night at midnight. I, 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 yeah, I'm keen. I'm just not that keen, though. <laughs> and uh, speaking of keen for frost, we've also got Jesse uh, joining us, mate. I was going to say, for, we're in a Monday pod, so we're in, we're in a bit of an unusual zone. Like Sunday, we normally make exceptions for cracking a few tins on the pod and Jesse's into a hazy IPA or something like that. What have you got there tonight, mate? Uh, I've got I've actually got a, a bit of a conservative one, although um, it's yeah. it's the burly big head, you know, the no carbs. So I am looking after myself. Isn't burly slang for when, like, you throw up into the ocean? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> um, I guess the two things aren't mutually exclusive. Um, that's a sign. That's a sign of things to come, uh, and a sign of things to come be. on the pod this this uh, <laughs> this evening, listeners. We've got a big weekend of Premier League to go through, though not many goals until midnight in the midnight kickoffs until the 80th minute. So RIP goal rush. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Ute League and look forward to some of the upcoming FFA Cup derbies, plus a Matildas update and the controversial Newcastle United takeover. But before we get into that, let's kick off with our moments of the week. Jesse, let's start with you, mate. For me, there was just some cracking goals. Um, uh, when when they did come, they were a sensational. Um, I had the, the the Leicester Man United game going on one screen. I had Man United, uh, sorry, Man City Burnley in the other one. And I actually, I didn't pay much attention to the City game at all um, because the there was just bangers going in on the. Um, the Leicester Man United game, and it was just a great watch. Um, and that was after watching uh, Liverpool put five past Watford. So it was one of those nights where I was sort of like, "Do I do I stay up? Do I go all the way?" And it was the the, the quality of the goals um, pushed me over the line, and I had a cracking night and had a few Guinnesses or Guinai, should I say? You definitely should say Guinai. It's the official plural. Tommy, what about yourself, mate? Mate, speaking of pushing things over the line. Uh, uh, being the picnics are about the only thing we can do here in Melbourne meant that um, uh, our picnic on, on Saturday meant that I fell asleep 10 minutes into the first game, into the Liverpool game. So uh, yeah, <laughs> didn't didn't watch a lot of football on Saturday night, I've got to be honest, but I did have plenty of catching up to do on Sunday. Like Jesse said, uh, there was actually quite a bunch of great games on, on Saturday night, but, but my moment of the week doesn't come from Saturday night. It actually comes from Germany this time around. Uh, everyone would have probably seen it over the week. Uh, Erling Haaland's uh, video balancing the balls on top of each other and then uh, all just bang them into the top left-hand corner. Moment of the week, not because it was a particularly good video, but just because everyone seemed to think it was real. I was just and, about to ask that, Tommy. Have sorry. we got to the bottom of this? Is it real? Sorry, sorry what? 
<laughs> I, I could visibly see a bubble bursting there in, front, in your on your yeah. screen, then Jesse. <laughs> devastated, devastated to to learn this news. And look, like it was a it was a cool video, it was a fun video, like um, but it. I do have to say, it did kind of feel like it was from like the early 2000s. Like it was a little bit reminiscent of uh, Ronaldinho, like juggling the ball and banging it against the crossbar. So, and I guess if anything, it was probably cooler that he did it and probably a bit more believable as well. <laughs> and is Erling Haaland real? Have we established no. that? The man is a cyborg. Megatron. Sent from the future. <laughs> a transformer. I don't know what he's going to transform into though, like a truck or like a semi-trailer or a dinosaur or something. I don't know. My, my favorite Erling Haaland moment of the week, it was the, um, he was, uh, it was just a little clip of him going around where there was a pitch invader and he just, he just gets around the pitch invader and he's like running up to the like crowd with the pitch invader and they're celebrating like their teammates together who have like just scored. <laughs> like, I saw this and it wasn't until I read the caption that I realized it because the, the pitch invader was wearing a, a Dortmund top and was just celebrating with him. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. But <laughs> it's actually just a pitch invader. And then he sort of just ushers him off the, off the pitch. Just thought, well, well played. The people's <laughs> champ. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse, what, what stood out to you in the wrong way this week? Danny Rose. Boy, be thick. And uh, <laughs> he, he's come back. He looks like when you put the fat filter on somebody. And I'm sorry, I'm not, I, don't want to fat, I don't want to fat shame him. But you're going to win anyway. Well, he's, he's, a, he's a Premier League athlete. He's not, Oof, athlete. He, he, he's not, in, the, he's not in the Sky Sports studio uh, talking about the career that he had with a few pundits. He's, he's still playing. And he didn't look like he should still be playing. He looked like he'd been hooked off the off the bench, and he was meant to be there for just a, a guest appearance. And he was popped on on the on the you know left back position, um, marking Mo Salah. And it was just it was never going to be a good day for him. And it just started terribly and ended terribly. In fact, you could go through all the moments in the game where he made mistakes, but the last one was some of the worst defending you've ever seen on Nico Williams, where he just gives up. He just absolutely gives up and just dives in uh, just off outside the penalty area. And it's just a tap in for Firmino and he gets a he gets an unnecessary fifth goal. So absolutely disgraceful from Danny Rose. Like I, I if I was a Watford fan, I'd be fuming because I know that the whole team had a hard time, but what a liability to have it left back. I mean, he was he was horrendous. Jesse, bit of, bit of um bad defending to go through on the pod today, but you know what it looked like? Mo Salah and and friends at Liverpool made Danny Rose look like he was playing in a testimonial or, or a charity match or, or something yeah. like that, where he's just been parachuted back in and, you know, just to see if he's still got the skills, but, you know, acknowledging that he's not going to be able to move around the park. But you're right, he's, he's a... He's a pro footballer, and all I can all I can see out of this is Luke Shaw somewhere just breathing heavy sighs of relief that he's you know no longer the the target of this uh, fat shaming. Mm. I tell you what, boys, if there was one person who was probably pretty happy about um, Danny Rose's performance, it was Sammy Nasri because he probably took a little bit of heat off of his uh, physique <laughs> this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bang on. Uh, Tommy, what about yourself, mate? Own goal. Uh, look. Um, I, I, I think you've said this before, Colby, about how it feels like uh, a lot of our moments of the week and own goals could be very interchangeable. And to be honest, I probably could have switched these two around. But um, this week, my own goal is uh, something a little bit fresh off the press this afternoon uh, on, on Monday night. At, uh, the McBulls, uh, one of one of my favourites, they've uh, uh, announced that they're, they're um, basically trying to uh, lobby the uh, Campbelltown Council, I think that's who they are, um, to to get uh, a giant bell installed at the Campbelltown Stadium. And 
this is probably not the... Tommy, I want the, your own goal, not your moment of the week, mate. Come on. <laughs> well, like is I said, it, I think I've actually got them around the wrong way. But is, is, look, that gonna be, right. is, is that going to be installed at the bell end? Oh, mate, that, that was exactly what I was going to say. That's my own goal is that I saw... Uh, when I, I logged onto Twitter about five minutes before this pod and scrolled down, I saw that article. Someone had tweeted that um, the, the actual... Uh, the article was from Adelaide, bizarrely, and then... Directly underneath it, the next three tweets were all saying that they should put it at the bell end, and I was like, "Okay, guys, yep." And Jesse, you make four now. People that have I haven't the exact even same joke. I haven't even seen those tweets, and I've made the same joke. What does that I, say? I read, I read about this at the end of a um, an article that was also talking about Mac Bulls, and is coincidentally my own goal about them taking a pro-choice stance on vaccines. Um, they've they've come out and apparently said they're they're refusing to take. Uh, to implement a vaccine mandate, and apparently they've got like eight or something players. I, I think we don't really know who they are yet, boys. But basically, so they, like the ones that have been outed as the ones who have like this bit of a problem when it comes to them. Yeah, allegedly, and they're sort of saying like, "Yeah, look, we're we're willing to just like leave this to the players," and they're basically saying they'd rather have eight unvaxxed players than eight unhappy players. Essentially, just not. Just telling them what's what, like this is a workplace, guys. Come on, you just got to get the shot and get on with it. But it's just such a known goal because they're gonna. It's essentially like you've got eight players or however big the number is that that can't play like a third of the season. Like it's it's like these players are just going to be injured and, and and unavailable for selection for you know a big portion of their fixtures. And where this tied into the um, the bell is that they they just seem to be turning into the villains of the A League season already, <laughs> hoovering up players from other teams being a little bit accommodating of anti-vaxxers and um, putting a big-ass fucking bell on the pitch. Like, you know, how, how more evil could they be? Just a terrible club. I still like oh. the bell, though. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to a bit of a bit of A-League news uh, and, and some listener questions as well. We, we put the call out for questions and a uh, regular More Than A Game host, Shannon, got in our mentions and, and asked us to mention the FFA Cup. Um, so that continues this week with some round of 16 fixtures. East COVID restrictions mean that we're able to see some local derbies in the round of 16. So we had Adelaide Olympic who were able to host Adelaide United on Sunday. Adelaide United um, went up 1-0 thanks to a goal from Jacob Trapp. Um, and then up in Queensland, we've got the Lions, we've got Lions FC who are going to host the Raw this Sunday with both of those clubs sharing quite a lot of history and heritage, as many will know. Um, and then with the easing of restrictions in New South Wales and Vic, that'll mean that um, the delayed round of 32 games can be played. And I'll just give you some standout fixtures, boys. We've got South Melbourne hosting Melbourne City on the 12th of November in the McFranchise Derby. Uh, Sydney Olympic hosting Sydney FC on the 24th of November. Those are the two that stand out to me. Tommy, I think you and you and Damo, at least, I don't know about you, Jesse, but you boys are going along to the South Melbourne uh, Melbourne City game, aren't you? Very keen to see uh, City go up against the the plucky MPL upstart South Melbourne. Um, and, and a friend of ours as well, a, a fellow West End fan, of, uh, mate of mine, Anthony, I think the, the three of us are going to head down hopefully for that. So um, it should be a good game, hopefully. Hopefully we'll get around a server as well and good times. And hopefully there'll be some football. Just being at some live football again will be fantastic. <laughs> And the uh, the Ute League, speaking of our, <laughs> our local beloved league, is uh, about a month away now. And Lee Broxham Facts wants our uh, premature table predictions. 
I think it's going to be incredibly difficult. I've opened up the table and, you know, Adelaide are, are on top and Western United are on the bottom. So, yeah, look, that's that's looking pretty good to me. Yeah, Brisbane look, in I, second or? They, like they are in second. So, you know, I'll take that. I don't know that I can predict an entire ladder this season, but I think we can talk about some general themes. Obviously, we've just mentioned MacArthur. I think they're going to be the, the villains of the season. You know, their anti-vax hub. We thought that was going to be Western Sydney, might be both. But I think I think one one big theme is going to be the return of Melbourne Victory with with Popper and the players that he's getting in. And we know what he does when he gets into clubs. He just improves the players and and the impact is is pretty immediate. And I think he's going to have a big impact at the victory. I think they'll be in and around the top and challenging. Boys, any any other advances on that? Any 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 themes that you think we'll see out of any of the teams? Melbourne uh, City going to continue their dominance, Tommy? Arguably, I think City are probably the um, the the slowest team out of the blocks in terms of recruitment. I think they've they haven't really replaced Craig Noon or uh, Adrian Luna. He's left as well. Obviously, they brought in Lecky, but I mean, they're two pretty key players that they don't seem to have replaced. So. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see, I guess, the, how the next month before the A League season uh, starts, how how I guess all of the squads do go about, um, I guess, finalising their squads. And we've seen a couple of couple of players come in uh, in the last few days. I saw West United signed a Serbian ex- experienced Serbian striker, and uh, Western Sydney they signed a new goalkeeper, Tomas Mayas, uh, a little bit of mayo, a bit of Mayas. Mayo. May Mayas there for everyone, but uh. <laughs> Uh, signed a new goalkeeper, uh, experienced Spanish goalkeeper. Uh, so uh, there's still uh, players, I guess, dribbling, uh, dribbling into the into the league, no pun intended. But yeah, it's it's exciting. And, and I guess, uh, sorry to steal your thunder here, Colby, but in the next couple of weeks, we'll be doing our uh, annual A-League season preview pod, which is, which is very exciting. That's when you know the A-League isn't far away. It. Look out for that one, listeners, and we will. Yeah, we'll be coming to you when, if, and when we know more <laughs> about the current A League season. But I, I think, look, I think a lot of this season will depend as well on um, how we're going with borders being open. It's it's actually looking against all odds like they'll be pretty open from day one, and teams will be able to sort of move around after those initial six fixtures. So once the first six rounds are done, it's looking like hopefully we should see a pretty mobile comp as we're used to seeing it so and, and stadiums i think will have plenty of fans in them too which um i mean no one really wants to like people want to see the a-league back but an a-league without fans in stadiums i think would be a bit um a, a, just a bit stale so especially after we've everyone's seen sort of the premier league and stuff come back with, with full stadiums so um yeah i think everyone's pretty keen to getting back to the football again We've got Damo in the comments who who seems to suggest that there's going to be three Melbourne teams uh, finishing top three. I think Damo's forgetting that one of the Melbourne teams is now coached by John Aloisi, so they're going to be nowhere near the top three. So uh, yeah, not 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 too sure what he's on about there. You know, Damo's about to create some burly in the backyard, I think. Wellington's not in Melbourne, so I'm confused. <laughs> Neither is Sydney FC. This doesn't make any sense, Damo. Are they are they in the country at the moment, Jesse? The Knicks? Can we get a Knicks Knicks watch, mate? I can't keep up. I can't. Keep I thought up. they were avoid- I thought at one point they were going to come over early to avoid some like quarantining, and then they were delaying the trip over. I don't know where they're at. Yeah, they then, are they allowed to leave New Zealand? And then McBalls is pinching our best players and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's. Mm. I, I'm I'm going to let the dust settle and um, warm up for the preview, and I'll, I'll give us a good Knicks uh, preview then. But at the moment, it just feels like there's too many moving parts to keep up. 
Well, speaking of moving parts, let's go with what we do know. And we've got some bits and pieces that have come in this week. So this week, uh, earlier, it was announced that uh, Diego Castro has officially left Perth. That was made official. So that's a, that's a big move. Um, and he wrote a piece on the PFA website saying he didn't hold any grudges. He still wanted to play there. He was trying, they were, he was trying to get a deal done. But, and he's also hoping to still play, play, play football. But I think what wasn't written in there was that, you know, he was one of the players that refused to take a pay cut at the start of the pandemic. And then you had Sturridge come in and it's pretty ironic yeah, like he's considering he's a communist. So <laughs> he was, um, you know, he, he's why he's, he's often in the debate um, as to, you know, some of the best A-League imports of all time, usually behind the likes of Tomas Broich and Milos Nikovic, but we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll cut, we'll, we'll take a quick break from the pod and we'll be right back after this highlights package we've put together from Castro's A-League championship winning seasons. Uh, and now the Woo, <laughs> the Woo boys, <laughs> they're, they're moving to Essendon's headquarters and training facility. Uh, Tommy, what do you, what do you reckon about this? We were, we were talking about this in the group chat earlier yeah, on. The- this is pretty fresh, isn't it? Uh, I think it's only just been announced this afternoon, but the the Woo, they were already posting photos on their socials of them training there this afternoon. So um, it looks like it's been sort of in train now for a little while, but um, I, I guess it, it's exciting that the Woo have finally got, I guess, a, um, some some facilities to train at. Um, I think their, I think their off-field uh, headquarters is going to move in there as well, which is a little bit weird. I'm not really sure how that's going to work, but um, I know the the youth and the the women's sides they're going to continue playing out of, um, or continue being based out of Carolyn Springs, out to the the north uh, west of of Melbourne. So. Um, I guess it's it's a bit of a it's it's another halfway moment for um for the Woo in that they they still don't really have a home yet and they're trying to make things work while they're renting and uh just just trying to make things work in the meantime. But look, they they, they might be breaking ground this month out at uh Tarnit, so so maybe they will they will have a a a, a dug patch of dirt by just the end of the season. To- just getting closer to the MCG uh, each year. <laughs> I, I just think they're tarnit. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought they were going to be based out of Woonie Ponds. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Look, That's as long good. as they're playing west of somewhere and as long as it's west of, of any CBD, not necessarily Melbourne CBD, then I think we're okay. I think, I think they need to do what the, the, the NRL teams have done in Sydney where you just encroach more and more on the centre of the city so that the original... Um, Sydney Roosters, for example, has to become Easts. So um, Melbourne Victory will end up somewhere uh, deep in Camberwell and they'll be referred to as East Melbourne Victory. <laughs> and like you, you've got some teams that have gone the other way, like the Raw used to be the Queensland Raw and, and you know, now they're the Brisbane Raw, but they're training in the Gold Coast and playing, you know, in Redcliffe north of Brisbane and, and just, you know, travelling around the regions in pre-season as well. So, I mean, give it give it back to Queensland Raw. Why, why don't we just come on? Let's just let's just get the A League just covering the map again. Just make them all into franchises like the Harlem Globetrotters, and they don't actually have a home home ground. No one has a home ground. The Woo did it. Sorry, the Western, uh, the the Phoenix did it. Queensland have done it. The Woo have we've done got it. A, got a, a transfer rumor. I don't know whether this one's settled yet, boys. I, I, might, I might not be up to the up to the minute on Twitter this week, but Jack Rodwell has been strongly rumored to be joining um, an A League club. Uh, and I read some stats. Someone tweeted that he had 73 minutes in the past 18 months 
56 games played since the 16-17 season and um, his well-publicized attitude problems when he refused to leave Sunderland when they were in complete free fall. So uh, have you heard anything about this or have you got any views about this, Tommy? Yeah, so uh, this is an interesting thing because I think this is a whole bunch of uh, agent talk because apparently uh, Jack Rodwell's shacked up with an Aussie girl. Um, I, I believe some, I did catch this in a tweet somewhere that it's some uh, ex-NSL player's daughter. So he sort Ooh. of kept it into kept it in sort of football circles kind of thing. But um, yeah, I believe that he's trying to basically get like a, Get a get a gig down here so he can move with here with his with his wife or partner or whatever, uh, whatever the situation is there, just so that he can, I don't know, get get his removals paid for and and get settled over here so that his his family can get set up here and he can basically set up here for the long haul. Um, doesn't really sound like there's uh, football is really high on the top of his priority list, but um, yeah, it'd be. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Jack Rodwell does end up signing for an A League team. Uh, I don't think it'll be very good. He'll probably MacArthur, surely. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> so, I don't know. It just it just feels on trend. I've got a I've got a feeling. I've got a feeling about MacArthur this season, boys. Feeling bullish. Feeling bullish about them. So the one <laughs> um, thing I remember about Jack Rodwell, sorry, Colby, is that Jack Rodwell went thirty nine consecutive league games without winning, and I think that cut across. Oh no, it was all at Sunderland, and because I, I remember there was one crazy stat about him. But yeah, thirty nine consecutive games. I think they were thirty nine consecutive starts without a win, which is just unreal. But hopefully, we can continue that at uh, the McBulls. Boys, we didn't mention it on the pod last week, and and we mentioned it. Damo and I were chatting after the pod, and we were chatting before the pod on this. But we will we will mention the Matildas briefly because obviously. Over the past couple of weeks, we've seen that new surface of allegations of sexual harassment, bullying, grooming, and other serious misbehavior within the Matildas set up. And it seems like everyone's had a take on this. And we wouldn't be more than a game if we didn't at least just acknowledge it. So Damo and I, as I mentioned, we spoke last week off air when we decided not to include it in the pod. And the reason for that was primarily at first that once you get past the important starting point, which is that the victims, Lisa Devanna primarily in this case, should always be believed as a starting point. There's just not a lot of facts at this point, and it's clear that a serious investigation is needed. And then there's the, the matter put out by the, the current Matildas, the statement that they put out. A lot of people saw this as a bit of a cynical brand protection exercise, but then it's, it's hard to really make comment further than that. So if we put ourselves in the position of the current Matildas, other than coming out more strongly from a starting position of believing the victims, I'm not sure what else they were supposed to do. Like they can't really admit that their culture's cooked if it is or what it was like before they were around. But Tommy, I know you added this to the run sheet. So I just wanted to see whether you wanted to mention this at all or, or say anything further. The the two things that I think a lot of people looked at this uh, and and saw the the two angles that a lot of people saw it from was I guess the the issues of um, I guess the 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 individual involved Lisa Devanna and she mentions other people who she saw who were being sort of groomed or uh, abused or uh, along those sort of lines and and that's horrible and that does I guess need to be need to be investigated and uh, I guess some pretty serious allegations need to be addressed I guess by um, by the FF uh, the FA and and the Matildas I guess generally speaking but also I guess the 
the the other thing I guess that is very much secondary to this uh, after player welfare is I guess the damage to the Matildas brand that's um, that's happening right now. Um, also, uh, the Matildas were pretty pretty much um, and quite clearly the 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 number one sort of sporting brand in the country uh, twelve months ago, and that they were going to the World Cup, they were successful at the Olympics, and everyone really gets around them. Um, and it's a shame that I guess um, and really unfortunate that these sorts of things do come out. And I guess that that the FA doesn't appear to be sort of saying, yep, there is a problem here, we're going to investigate the problem. And it does have this sort of a, a bit of a sniff of they're sort of pushing it to one side and um, and, and so forth. So it's um, I really do hope that they, I guess, uh, peel back the layers and uncover whatever they uh, and, and deal uh, appropriately with, with whatever the... Um, the, the situation is there and and they can move on and uh, I guess uh, move on together and um, get back to playing good football together. Well, onto a, <laughs> onto another pretty light topic, I'd say, boys, is the Newcastle takeover. <laughs> so three, that $300 million takeover by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund has been pretty well publicised as well, um, given the, the Saudi regime's human rights record and obvious sports washing that's very on trend at the moment. Tommy, did you want to, firstly, before we get into the, the fun stuff, did you want to talk about the, the sort of the, the ethics of, of this at all? Because there's been a lot that's been said about it already, but did you did you have a particular take? Look, I will try not to turn this into a really sort of, uh, uh, I guess, a bit of a downer pod, but maybe if there's one one approach that we can take to this is that, uh, Jesse and Colby, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Um, if, if you were a Newcastle fan, and, and this is, seems to be something I've seen come up a bunch of times before, would you be able to follow your club uh, or be able to continue to support your club if the Saudis took over them? I think the issue with this is that it's at how many layers of bad guys do you want to go up so the the common fan, and probably including myself, cares about the players out on the pitch, the, the manager, generally the club. My relationship with, with the owners is, is completely limited to hoping that they'll buy new players when we need them or they'll put more money into um, funding training facilities in the stadium and that sort of thing. So you don't really have a relationship with the owners. They're a tier above what your relationship is. So... Generally speaking, fans of Chelsea, fans of City, I'm sure that they've just gone down to continue um, supporting their club that they did maybe if they supported them 20 years ago, like they did 20 years ago. And I think there is an uncomfortable thing to to deal with. I think that City fans would have had this on a, on a different note, but they would have had this as well, where it's not just about the sports washing, but it's also about where the money's coming from. But I, I just, I generally think that there's a really big issue here with Newcastle particularly because Newcastle just wanted to get rid of Mike Ashley. Mm -hmm. So there's this obsession with we just want to get rid of the bad guy. And Anyone but can, Mike. Mm -hmm. and, and people can argue that you've replaced it with another bad guy, but it's this weird thing where they were just so consumed about getting that, that sort of monkey off their back and get, get them out of the club that they'll take anybody. And that's where I think that if you're asking me if I was Newcastle, Van Howard feel, I think it's very difficult to 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 call it the way that we I think it'd be very, very difficult because you will go down to the stadium. It'll, you'll still be going with your friends. You'll still be going with your family. It will still be Newcastle. But it's, it is going to change. The club will change in the coming years. So, Tommy, I, I, I know that's a really weird way to answer the question, but I think it's just like I guess what I'm saying is I don't, I don't really have a relationship with the owner. And I, I'm sure Newcastle fans don't either, but it is just, 
it's uncomfortable for me. I know that I'd feel incredibly uncomfortable about it if it was Liverpool. Uh, if that answers your question, I think that it just would be one of those things where we've all seen what happened in the last few years. I mean, the news with the journalists and things like that, this, we're not talking a long time ago. This is pretty recent. So it's pretty raw stuff to have in recent history uh, to do with the owners. So it's pretty, pretty uncomfortable. What are your thoughts, Colts? I would agree with what you've said, Jesse. And, and just one step further, there's layers of bad guys and there's just how pervasive this is across not only the Premier League, but across mm. all sport and just, I mean, across capitalism, <laughs> across across the whole world. It's not, you know, and these, these guys don't just fund uh, a Premier League team. They're behind the likes of Disney and Uber and all these other all these other brands that we would interact with. And so for me, it's a little bit of a case of where do you draw the line? Like where do you where do you as a as a consumer, as an end consumer, the question is where do you draw the line about what you will and won't have a relationship with and what you will and won't participate in? For me, it's very difficult. Maybe the answer in football or at least part of it is is uh, something like the 50 plus one rule they have in Germany with respect to ownership, maybe maybe tighter ownership tests, but it's it's only part of the solution because it goes so much deeper and so much further. If we're just talking about football, I mean, look at FIFA like that. It, that place just needs to be burnt to the ground and completely rebuilt. You know, you're never going to smoke all of the rats out of that, of that nest, but it's just such a tricky issue. And I think where you ultimately get to as a fan is you just end up extremely compartmentalizing, which I think is is sort of what you were saying, Jesse, where at the end of the day, you know, what you care about as a fan is just like the experience with your mates, with your friends and family and going to the games and, and watching the players on the pitch. There comes a point as well where what what can you what can really be done about about this by by fans like i know you know people like to romanticize it and say well look they're the you know they're the ultimate sort of owners of the club and they're the, they're the ultimate stakeholders and shareholders in a club and and you know to an extent yes but also like we've seen during covid that fans um you know the, the game can continue to to quite a large extent without fans be necessarily needing to be there so it's it's just very 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 tricky the risk that uh, you can run is that you start to sort of put an asterisk next to anything to do with a particular club or something and say when something good does happen sort of on the pitch or uh, or even off the pitch we talked about like building infrastructure or community work and stuff like that and you go yeah that's good but this and uh, i think um I think it was the BBC and one, I can't remember which other, um, might have been Sky in um, the UK, that they were basically doing that over the weekend saying, oh, they're going to pump all this money in, but don't forget there's this issue and this mm. big asterisk next to everything that Newcastle will do basically, which, uh, like you said, that it's not just Newcastle. Newcastle aren't the only club that are involved in sports, sports washing um, in not just the Premier League, but even down into sort of the second division, the championship and, um, and, and other leagues, other top leagues throughout Europe as well. So, David Squires put it best when he said, who cares about football clubs being used as marketing regimes for murderous, <laughs> murderous regimes when transfer gossip is afoot? Boys, who, who do we think they're going to sign? They've got it. They've apparently got a, a two hundred million pound war chest, uh, at least according to what they're allowed to spend under FFP. But apparently, it's it's sort of said that they've only got a planned budget of fifty million in January. What are they going to get for that? Uh, I think one fifty million. 
I think if there's one thing that they've learned from from City uh, and them splurging, it was don't tell everyone how much money you've got because then everyone knows that you've got a lot of money to spend and that just means you get ripped off. <laughs> so I think it's, yeah, it's smart to, to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we've only got $20 million to spend this this window and then they, they might surprise a few people with how much money that they do end up spending. I think they'll, they'll vacuum up um, players like um, Coutinho and players that are just kind of just like just just don't basically say, just just say that just uh gouging clubs that can't afford them anymore i think that newcastle will, will, will sort of cherry pick some of those kind of players I, I i think um some of the rumors uh like sterling is quite a good shout i think players like that would um would you know guaranteeing game guaranteed game time probably the marquee signing english uh, i i could see that happening Imagine Sterling on one side and some maximum down the other. <laughs> I, I just having, felt, felt sorry for the fullbacks. You'd be doing a lot of work. Um, John, Joe Shelby, John Joe Shelby just lobbing just bombs from basically next to the centre backs to them both. <laughs> Boys, uh, I actually heard a, I heard a great rumour this afternoon was that um, they, their first signing may not actually be a, a player. It could actually end up being a manager. And the, the three of the names that were, were rolled out um, were Roberto Martinez, uh, obviously coaching, uh, managing Belgium at the moment, Steven Gerrard, obviously at Rangers. And then finally, Unai Emery, who I thought, oh, geez, wouldn't that just Good be evening. hilarious with, yep. Your, John- Europa League winners, t- 2023. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, the combination I want to see is Unai Emery uh, and uh, John Joe Shelby and Isaac Hayden. That's just, I, I just want to see that right now. <laughs> Press conference. We've had an interesting question uh, from Ash, one of our listeners on Twitter. Uh, he asks, given that the Saudis and the PIF have over $300 billion in wealth, if Newcastle were to be relegated this season, would they just take the loss and focus on their sports washing experiment with another club in the EPL or another league like uh, Milan in Serie A? I think they'll, they'll monitor up to January how they're going. And... If they're panicking, they'll probably just start splurging. Like I think people think that they're going to do the the classic kind of like let's just pour the money into the training ground and into the stadium and do all that sort of off the pitch stuff and slowly build and have a project. But I don't I don't think they'll accept relegation. So I think that there'll be a a knee jerk reaction um, in January if they need to. I think they will bring in some big names. Definitely going to be some improvements, I think, in the squad. Whether or not they signed a Coutinho or a Rubinho-like signing in January, yeah, I'm not so sure. Coming up next, match day eight of the Premier League. There's Maguire. Oh, he took a chance and he hasn't got away with it. Ian Asher finds Tillmans. Oh, it's another stunning goal. Well, Leicester are going for it again here. It's... Iosi Perez, right across, it's there! Would you believe it? Jamie Vardy, just as Manchester United thought they got back into this game, Jamie Vardy strikes at their very heart, and Leicester are back in front! Manchester United in the doldrums. Their long, unbeaten away record is over after 29 unbeaten in the Premier League away from home. But it's ended in a six-goal thriller, Leicester 4, Manchester United 2. 
All right, well, United have snatched defeat from the jaws of a draw late at the King Power with Leicester running out 4-2 winners after a couple of early screamers from both sides. Got a couple of quotes, boys, which I think we could base a bit of discussion around. There was, um, I'm sure you've probably seen this, but there was a Pogba quote that was going around after the game. He was interviewed and he was pretty frank, actually, about the state of United saying that we've, we've not found the problem, conceding easy goals, stupid goals, and we need to find something. Jesse, what do they need to find? Uh, a new manager. Um, and while they're at it, try and find a way to play football without an excuse every week because the excuse is we haven't got an, uh, a good enough winger, they get Sancho. Oh, we haven't got a good enough centre forward, they get Ronaldo. It's just on and on and on and on. And um, uh, Carragher went off this week and he got like a huge amount of backlash, but he just he just had a go at Keane and Neville and said, you know, you guys keep saying you're not good enough for the league and playing down your chances and saying that you're not, you haven't got a good enough squad and you need this and you need your defensive midfielder. On average, most of those players are worth about $50 million each, um, $50 million um, pounds, sorry. So you are basically saying that they're not worth that. Well, we could argue that they're not, but that's what you paid for. And so either you've got an absolutely horrendous recruitment team, which granted they probably do, uh, or you've basically just tried to paper over the cracks for years and years without doing the work that most clubs do, which is build players up and actually creating great players and great defensive midfielders. So that's what you need. So there are a lot of people now, including United fans, not just um, rival fans, who are just basically, they've just had a guts fall because they're, they're not really going anywhere. They're kind of just treading water. They may well still win a trophy this year through, I mean, a cup competition, anything can happen. But in a league, you need to be consistent. And at the moment, they're consistently being awful. Um, so I, I just think that they need a new manager. I think that he has completely run his course. And people are calling for Conte and things like that. United fans are a little bit conflicted because, yes, he's the kind of manager that could potentially get them a um, a title uh, because he's that's what he does. But I don't know if long-term he'd actually fix the problem. Like he might actually just do what they've done recently, uh, a few years ago, where they sort of got that surge and then just tumbled back down again. So they've just got to use their academy and actually start developing players without just buying them uh, here and there and not actually helping the squad. So th that's my rant on United. Like I'll, I'll, I'll get into Harry Maguire shortly, but I, I've just, I've just sort of, I'm just sort of sick of the excuses. Um, and I'm, I'm not just saying that as a rival fan, I think that there are United fans and friends of mine who, who have had a guts for as well. Tommy, who would you go for as manager of United? Ugh. I think just think Conte has the uh, the all of the signs, all the hallmarks of being uh, Mourinho Mark II. Like he's going to be somewhat more successful. He's going to be um, probably going to leave a, an old squad that's going to be pretty unremarkable, but it's just likely to be successful or marginally successful for a little while, and then just turned out to be an absolute mess. So yeah. I don't think that would be a good move. In fact, like whilst there were some positives about uh, Ole, I think. They, they probably should have moved on after about 18 months once sort of he has done a, a reasonable job at sort of moving on some of the dead wood, but there's still there's still that centre midfield situation still has never been resolved. Like Fred, Matic, Pogba uh, and McTominay, still it's, it's never really worked. And Bruno sort of made it work for a little while because he added something different, but still like that that double pivot at the back or, or a single, single um, defensive player there still never really worked. 
On a, on a side note, though, I, I do have to um, do a bit of a shout-out to uh, Michael Cox did a really good article uh, today talking about basically how Ronaldo has basically ruined what was kind of a, a, a team that was being built. And you could see what they were doing there, and you could see Greenwood was developing into like a pretty handy footballer. But but now with Ronaldo there, and, and I think we talked about this earlier on in the season about Ronaldo and how he's going to basically kind of ruin the uh, – ruin their ability to press from the front. And, and that was exactly what he, he um, uh, unpicked, that thread of. And it's it's they're just really easy to play through now. And they've always been a team that's wanted to sort of sit back, but now they're just really disorganised. And, and the irony is going to be that Ronaldo is going to be the one that not just ramped up the pressure, but he's going to be the one that sort of broken this squad and made it, at least with Rashford and Greenfoot, Greenwood. Greenwood? Greenwood, they were sort of coherent at least going forward, whereas now, like defensively, they're just terrible. So there's there's elements of what you've just said, and I haven't read the article, but there's elements of what you've said that I agree with, which is they're easy to push through because they're not pressing and they're just, yeah, they're disorganized for sure. But again, excuses. Like, who's behind Ronaldo? You've got Pogba, you've got Bruno Fernandes, you've got all these great players, and they're just like the Harlem Globetrotters who can't actually function together. And it's like... Where do the excuses end? I mean, you can say, oh, it's because Ronaldo's the team. That United would give up results like this before Ronaldo was in the team. So I think it's like, I, I have the same opinion about Harry Maguire, and I'll just cover it now because I might as well. He was getting blamed um, left, right, and center about his performances in the weekend and giving away basically being at, at fault for most of those goals. And all the excuses were, oh, Ole rushed him back too quickly. He's unfit. It's like, Harry Maguire hasn't just been making mistakes since he had an injury. He's had a horrendous season so far. And on the weekend, he basically just continued the way he was playing before he got injured. Um, so this is what I mean. There's a lot of like scape uh, scapegoatism and trying to like, you know, make excuses. And that includes for Ole. And at, at the end of the day, he has got a great squad of players and you're watching players who are great in another system like Sancho come across and wilt in this system that for me tells you that the manager is not doing a good enough job. It's just plain to see. And if, if, if this was any other business, any other workplace, you would identify that as a problem. You'd have a trial period and then you just fire the person. So why is he any different? I, I just, I just don't get it. I think that I, I, it's great for us as rival fans because the United uh, results. All I in. All I in. I, I saw a great meme of everybody protecting him, you know, like everyone was body, <laughs> bodyguards and like, leave him alone. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, if I was a United fan, I'd be tearing my hair out. And Jesse, you mentioned Harry Maguire, but what about Jaden Sancho? You mentioned him before as well. He's he's had ten games so far at United for zero goals, zero assists. What have you made uh, about his uh, start to life at United? Uh, Alexis Sancho, he he has been just anonymous. <laughs> he's been anonymous, and like that's how people uh, rated his performance on the weekend. That's uh, the, the same. They were saying the same thing about Ronaldo. To be fair, on the weekend, but he's just. I, this is what I mean. This is the system. Like he was great for Dortmund. You know, he's a great player. Great, great players don't just wilt overnight. He's still got the skills. He's still got the tricks, but he obviously has low confidence. He doesn't know what he's doing, and he's just kind of like a um, a microcosm of that whole team. They've got good players in that team that don't know what they're doing, and that for me suggests that the manager is basically just saying go out and play. That's unacceptable if you're a team of that caliber. Reminds me a little bit of like late era Wenger almost, and Wenger was sort of notorious or famous, whichever way you want to look at it, for just saying, "Oh, look, I've got some great players. They're smart enough; they'll figure it out." 
and it feels a bit like that with uh, with this Solskjaer team because, like, we we all know there's some fantastic players there, but but it's hard to talk about or it's hard to point out probably more than maybe two two players that Solskjaer has genuinely improved from being either average to, to excellent or, or so, something like that um, in the last two years, three years. Maybe Shaw is one, but I think we all know that knew that Shaw would be a player. He just needed sort of some of the right right environment. But Well, and if you look at the opposite too, the opposite is so true. Look at you know, look at players who come into Pep Guardiola's team, um, especially in the in the early reigns, and people give Pep a hard time for managing, you know, the, the the top of the top. But you know, there's no denying that he improves players, and and Jurgen Klopp as well. Look at look at I mean, look at Salah, look at Salah. He came in and people were laughing because he was a he was a Chelsea yeah, reject, he and he and he didn't and he didn't light the world up at Roma. Um, and but look at look at what he's done under Klopp. And, and you know there are there are many other examples and, and examples of players coming up through the academy and breaking into the first team and then like Trent Alexander Arnold and 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 others from that academy players that just come in and it's uh, there's examples of this right across the, the team and right across other teams in the Premier League and in other leagues as well we're talking about Tony Popovich in the A League you can tell a good manager and they do that consistently throughout their career Ange Postecoglou improves players improves, improves players yeah. Mm. Like, um, and, and Damo, yeah. Damo summed it up really well like just recently where he was saying that he'd read he'd read an article watched something where somebody was mentioning that Ollie oh, doesn't really have a plan like he doesn't doesn't talk about a, an ethic or sorry not ethic a, um, a philosophy. philosophy doesn't have a philosophy and that's basically like plain to see he doesn't have a philosophy so I mean the only thing I can explain I think to explain all this guys is that in a plot twist a huge plot twist He's actually trapped in his job. He can't leave his contract. He's basically got to get his um, conservator um, to let him free, like free Britney. So it, essentially, oh, it's essentially Ollie. essentially it's hashtag free Ollie. <laughs> it's the only yeah. answer. Let's move on, boys. We've we spent we spent a long long enough trashing United. I'm sure there'll be plenty more opportunities throughout the season. But uh, the, the another wild game uh, from this weekend in the Premier League was Villa and Wolves. Villa coughed up a 2-0 lead as well. Threw away a two-goal lead in the 79th minute to lose the West Midlands derby to their rivals. They've now suffered back-to-back defeats and Wolves have leapfrogged them in the table. Wolves, meanwhile, have got four wins in the last five. Tommy, how did you see this one playing out? I mentioned at the top that I, I didn't catch any of the uh, any of the games on Saturday night. And on Sunday morning, I checked the scores and then thought, oh, okay, which, which games am I going to watch? And then I checked my fantasy team and I saw that um, uh, Matty Cash, he played 70 minutes and somehow got a clean sheet in a team that lost 3-2. And I went, what the hell? And then I looked a little bit closer and I went, hang on, maybe I'll actually watch this full game. And I'm really glad that I did because <laughs> Villa were, they were quite good for the first sort of 70 minutes. And I don't really know what it was that changed for, for Villa, off. but... <clears throat> Yeah, well, and obviously Cash, he went off too. Um, but for, for Wolves... The, he was withdrawn, the, you mean? <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, Cashed out. For, for, for Wolves, the big change was uh, Daniel Pedence came on and and he seemed to be just basically lighting lighting up the, the Villa defence. Mm. And uh, he was obviously very key, but what I really liked about this Wolves team, and who haven't actually been in particularly good form so far this season, but I'm not sure if anyone caught the, the Connor Cody reaction after the second goal. Obviously, Connor Cody's the, the captain at, at Wolves, and he was just absolutely so revved up. And it was really, really great to see because you could see 
sometimes you're not really sure how like sort of the team spirit is at a, at a club that's losing, but you could see that in that moment, there was a lot of belief and a really strong team spirit at that Wolves side. And at that point, even though I knew what the score was going to be, you absolutely knew that, yeah, geez, this, this, this Wolves team, like they, they aren't sort of the, um, they're not going to be strugglers. They're, they're still going to be there about this season. And that was really encouraging, I guess, knowing that uh, and seeing that, seeing that team spirit, but also, I guess, they were a little bit lucky in, I guess, how they ended up winning the game through that deflected free kick right at the death. But, but still, you can see that this is this is a Wolves team that that means business. So, never, never say ne- really never, never say never. <laughs> right to the right to the death. The I was going to say, uh, Tommy, with that game, he took off McGinn. I think he took off Douglas Louise as well because he had been mm. um, a lot of minutes on the international break. So. He took a couple players off, and you mentioned Matty Cash. So it just it just seemed like the midfield they, they lost the midfield like almost instantly. It was it was pretty pretty bad. Um, and and, and they, even that, not not just that, but they brought on a really junior player in I can't remember his first name. Ram- 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 Ramsey, yeah, and I think he's only like eighteen or nineteen or something, and so you're playing up against the likes of Joel Machino and uh, Neves. As well, Mayo. so <laughs> which you um, yes, obviously it's easy with with twenty twenty hindsight, but was the other the other players that came on for Villa didn't do a great job either, uh, and well, didn't really set up that that young Ramsey uh, lad for for success either. So. Forget twenty twenty uh, hindsight. What about twenty twenty foresight of Aston Villa to hire a set piece coach and then get done by three set piece goals <laughs> to lose that's, three? That's exactly what I was going to say, Jesse. That's one thing that stood out to me. It was the three goals for Wolves came all shortly after set pieces or, you know, in the, the, the second phase after a set piece. And I don't know whether that's necessarily something that Wolves have been practicing, that sort of phase after a set piece or whether Villa had just switched off and it's something that they need to work on. Maybe it's both. That's, yeah, de- that definitely stood out to me in this one. Twan Zabi got really exposed in the end of that game. So, yeah, they'll be pretty keen to get, uh, I think it's uh, Courtney Horse or House back um, soon. because Back on the horse. Yeah, back on the horse. Back in the house. <laughs> All right, boys. Watford, Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool uh, dominated this one. Rom time to a 5 0 win. It was excellent 9 30 viewing for Jesse and I. Uh, prime time or 10 30 daylight savings time, but, you know, nice early game on a, on a Saturday night. Tommy, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw to you first because Jesse and I have got views, but this is a completely open question. And don't let the the fact that it's Watford Liverpool and we're talking about this game influence you. But who's the best player in the world right now? <laughs> You're talking about Klopp just before about him improving players, and I was going to throw out there that this week there has been a lot of chat about Salah being the best player in the world at the moment, and I'll just yep. leave that there. That a lot of people are saying that, and especially I did see that uh, I saw another tweet during the week about how uh, Jorginho won. I think did he win the Ballon d'Or? Or is that's that's not done yet, but he did that's win. A, that's that's a, that's Jesse fan fiction. Yeah, <laughs> but that that uh, Jorginho would would never be uh, fit to to clean Busquets's uh, boots, and Busquets never got in the top twenty of the Ballon d'Or voting. So um, that's just where we are right now in world football. That Salah is not not being, uh, I guess, uh, thrown out there. Right. And um, Ronaldo got Ronaldo got FIFA a Player of the Month last month as well, which is an absolute robbery. Ridiculous. Uh, I think uh, I think that for, with Salah, I think the reason why right now it feels like it's it's hitting different, guys, 
is it it's elements of that first season where he was just pulling rabbits out of the hat and and, and he has been brilliant the last few seasons like he's been consistent he's pulled us out of holes we he's scored goals and won us games when we probably shouldn't have won them so he has been a talisman and he's still been Mo Salah but one thing he did in that first season when we I always remember when we won the the Champions League tie away at City and they were really favored to win that and and it was him doing the chip over the keeper and we went all the way to the, the final that year and he just he had this ice cool lethal finishing um he was scoring all types of goals he scored a similar goal to what he did last, the other week with against City um against Tottenham a few years ago where he chopped onto us um onto onto his right and finished as well so he had that ability back then to just pull something out of nothing and in the last few years defenses have got better they've seemed to be able to usher him into sort of cul-de-sacs and be like you're not going anywhere now and he's, he's sort of been nullified a little bit in that regard and he's got a lot of penalties but just recently it's like he's just gone back up another level and now he's got that su supreme confidence that he can get himself out of a tight space doesn't matter how many defenders are around him um and not just that he's basically decided that he can also be a playmaker and he's now doing inside out, you know, passes to Mane and one touch into the back of the net. So he just made his opposition look so inferior. And I think that's where, you know, that's why he's getting so many raps and he's getting compared to the greats because this is what people like Messi have done in La Liga for years is just like made other pr professional footballers look incredibly average. Um, Sent Cathcart to Bunnings for a snag of the backs. <laughs> <laughs> Add to Cathcart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so eight games, seven goals, four assists. What a start to the season. He's level with Drogba now for the most Premier League goals by an African player in 89 fewer matches. Jesse, how soon are you re-upping his contract if you're if you're Klopp and if you're Liverpool? It, it's interesting because that's what all the talk is now. So, I mean, I know outside of Liverpool that most people are just talking about how well he's playing, but inside Liverpool, it's all about tie this guy down and i think it's very easy to do that when someone's in hot form but and, and fsg and liverpool are renowned for just taking their time taking their time but it sounds like they're going to have to make an exception in this regard because you just can't have a player playing that well for any club in europe and not renew their contract at least um and give it a, a hefty um upgrade so they're going to have to do something about it soon because the press is all over it the press keep asking every game you know what about the new contract what about the new contract so the pressure will um will lead to a new contract surely the, the key for liverpool is i guess milking the most that they can out of salah and basically trying to do trying to repeat what uh chelsea did to real madrid with hazard where he wasn't wasn't finished. But they knew that they. Well, yeah, exactly. And I, I think that there is maybe a hope that oh, maybe one more year, and then we'll sell him for I don't know seventy million or something like that. And everyone will think, oh, geez, Real Madrid got such a great deal, but Salah will be finished. And he has played a lot of football in the last few years, and he re remarkably has gone pretty much injury injury free f uh, for a long time as well. So, yeah, it's. Very, very interesting to see what sort of the, the plan is because I'm sure there is a plan at, at Liverpool as far as Salah goes. At this age, though, it comes down to attitude. And, and you know, Hazard's a great example where he just didn't look like he, he wanted it anymore. Whereas, like, you've got someone like Salah who's, who's in his interviews, he's saying he wants to drag them to the to win the title. He wants to drag them to win the Champions League. And that's that's a sign of somebody who's starting to to fall into that elite player like like your, um, your Ronaldo's and Messi's who... They determined to carry their team through tournaments and, and, and title wins.
So that's that's if you're a Liverpool fan, that's why you tie that person down for another four or five years because you're not expecting this level of performance for another four or five years. But you've got a player in your team who is determined to win trophies. You've got to keep that guy in your team. Man, Hazard definitely wanted it. The problem was that it was fries with our Oli. <laughs> How good are they though? Belgian beers and chocolate. Tommy, this was um, this was Ranieri's first game in charge at Watford. New Watford manager. All the ch- all the chat on social media was how fast Watford were going to sack him after this was his biggest ever Premier League defeat in his first home game in charge of Watford. Well, what are your thoughts first on the on the appointment and and secondly on on what the future holds for him at Watford? Oh look, I, I feel for poor Ran- Ranieri, but like he he does he, he doesn't hit everywhere, and this might be a bit of a miss for him. Sometimes the the not everything is right at the club, or the the squad just is rubbish. And the the longer things go on at at Watford this season, things aren't looking real great for them. So even memory promised even... promise the list of players to uh, pizza. Um, they could eat pizza if they um if they won or got something. Maybe, maybe um they got lost in translation for Danny Rose. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to fetch him. I said I wasn't going to fetch him. I'm sorry. Anyway, anyway, as you, as you were, Tommy. Tommy, we should we should move on to your West Ham uh, getting up over Everton one uh, nil. Tell, t- tell us about this game. Yeah. So uh, look, this was uh, on the on the was it Sunday night game, which is it's always tricky for a lot of people to be able to get uh, up and see this one. I didn't get up and see it, but I did see the score. Uh, do you know that West Ham Bonner, won? Got up. Pardon? Ogbonna, he got up right at he the end. He got up. He got up. And, and 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 look, Rondon, he he got up as well. He lifted his leg <laughs> and then prompted to stomp it down on Suchek's face as well. So I think <laughs> Suchek needed about four or five stitches in uh, in two different gashes. One on his, I think one was on his nose and one was on like his cheek. So just Suchek, so, Suchek yourself. Yeah, yeah. just real Suchek areas. Like now he's got the scars to prove that like he's a real hard man of the Premier League. So uh, I think he, I think deep down he really liked that he got those scars. But look, um, I, I did read that there was a lot of a lot of positive uh, feedback about the uh, the West Ham performance. Uh, Decky Rice again imperious and helped myself to a to a fried rice uh, for lunch as a, as a way <laughs> of sort of paying homage to to my boy Decky. Um, but. Uh, yeah, look, another really great performance. And look, judging from judging from the highlights alone, you, you'd be um, it, this is a match that really could have gone either way. And I think I think a lot of fans for for both teams, I think, would have been happy with with a one all. Um, but yeah, West Ham, I think, probably a little bit lucky. But obviously, you've you've got to um, got to finish the chances that you get. And uh, and West Ham ended up finishing off one of them. Um, they secondary, did have... uh, secondary uh, West Ham fan over here um, uh, was watching it. Uh, on my phone with AirPods in, procrastinating, going to sleep. And I probably should have gone to sleep. I did it at, at, at half time, But I will say, Tommy, from the first half, because I didn't catch the second half, but the first half, West Ham started so crisply. Like for the first few minutes, they were they were just – Everton could not get out. They just completely pressed them into the, uh, the, the corner. Everton were just doing some terrible, terrible passing. Pickford was doing his normal, just turning it over every two seconds. And then all of a sudden um, – Townsend managed to whip a ball into the box and then all of a sudden Everton believed they could get past the halfway line. And then it's sort of like, it's sort of evened up a little bit near the, the the end of the first half. The second half, I didn't catch much of it. I did see the result, but it was interesting. I just think that West Ham, they the way they started, 
they they kind of needed to bury the goals then and there. I think it's it's great they got a set piece goal, but I think what Moyes will be working on will surely be being more clinical and ruthless because they have been clinical and ruthless so far this season. They, it was kind of it's sort of they were a little bit bereft of that in the first half where they probably should have scored a goal in the first half. Maybe An important between... question, important question, boys. Are we are we dropping uh, Antonio from our fantasy teams? You got to got to give me the inside word. I blew up my fantasy team about a month ago trying to squeeze Lukaku and um, uh, Ronaldo in, and yeah, my my team's pretty much fucked now. So <laughs> I, I would go for for Antonio again if if you can. Just don't Eggplant, have Eggplant FC. <laughs> well, West Ham are now sitting in seventh ahead of Everton on goal difference, both on fourteen points. So. It'll be uh, an interesting race between those two this season, and they're they're hot on the heels of United, also on fourteen points. So, um, still very very tight in the middle of the Premier League. Uh, Newcastle, we spoke about their new ownership. That uh, regime got off to um, a, a losing start, unfortunately, hosting Tottenham. They lost two uh, three. Uh, Tottenham, who are sitting on fifth with a goal difference of negative three, which how the fuck do you do that? Things that stood out to me in this game, boys, Callum Wilson's header to open the game was delicious. Kane's first Premier League goal of the season, um, faffed around for a bit with the offside, but it was a nice little little goal as well. Shelby with the red card and then Eric Dyer <laughs> own goal under what looked to be not much pressure. Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's conventional pressure and then there's Eric Dyer pressure. Uh, <laughs> pressure so, puts uh, on himself. <laughs> yeah. Just want to have a shout out to uh, Harry Kane, who he seems to have lifted the um, the August curse uh, this year, but uh, couldn't seem to get past the September curse, um, and almost fell foul to the the October curse as well. But look, <laughs> he, he has managed to get off the mark uh, on the was it the sixteenth of October? So good for him. And the billionaire Burnley got up one nil over over Brentford at home. <laughs> You know, cementing their excellent defensive record this season, they've um, they've still only conceded three goals in eight games. So that's just a, cemented Mendy's excellent defensive record. Yeah, um, I mean, he really bailed them out in this game. Uh, just <laughs> got a got a got a stat for you guys. Um, Damon's not here today, so I thought I'd provide one. <clears throat> so, according to Transfer Marked, which this is this is where the guy on, on a certain tweet got the stat from. In the 27 Premier League games that Tuchel's been in charge, seven goals have been scored over five games. So in 22 out of the 27 games, the striker has blanked. So I'm, I'm talking about strikers here. So he's basically saying that whoever's been up front, whether that be Lukaku, and obviously he only came in from uh, game week two this year, match day two this, week, this year. He's basically, out of those 27 games, there's only been like 22 of them the striker has blanked. So he's actually been the, the the club itself has been relying on goals from from defenders and from like centre backs and things like that. Like, they, they, it's it's actually quite in, intriguing how ineffective the centre forward's been for Tuchel uh, since he started. Yet Chelsea is still top of the league. I thought that was a really interesting with a tasty goal difference too. So um, they're they're clearly doing something right, and Lukaku looks like he is the right fit there. And they've got so, enough talent around him. I think I think Tuchel will, will get the best out of him, and will get the best um, out of out of the Germans as well. And oh yeah, I mean it's it's hard to see. I mean Liverpool and City have just got to do their best to keep keep pace with them this season. I think. Um, and, and the other stat I had was um, in in Burma, or I think it's in Burma. Um, 
he hit the po- he's hit the post six times this season already apparently so um uh you know the, the man can find the woodwork uh, so uh, you felt a bit sorry for him actually in this game because he um he put himself in great positions but just found the bar every time yeah Freaking i bright. think he's um he's, he's on the way to brighton next season yeah. <laughs> yeah. grand potter's like he, he just heard the sound and went what was that and he, someone hitting the post oh, sign him up <laughs> Imagine Mbwemo and uh, Trossard in the same team, just (laughs) rattling the post. Uh, Southampton leads. uh, They Southampton got up one nil. Not going to mention that. We've just we've just whipping through some other results now. Norwich and Brighton nil all. uh, We talk about. Can we talk about uh, Norwich missing an open goal? (laughs) Like what? Just absolutely (laughs) cursed. What have they got to do? What have they got to do? Go back to the championship. It's like um, it's like he thought he was on the fairway and he hit the rough. Um, he's <laughs> like he's hit the ball and it's just come to a grand insight. And, the, and the, how about Duffy with the unnecessary slide dive? Um, he's still, you know, the ball's basically stopped. It's not going in, and Duffy decides to be the hero and, and slides in and clears it. A um, little bit unnecessary. <laughs> it's the courtesy but, slide. But, but, you have got, you got to, you, courtesy dive from the goalkeeper. It is. You got to feel for Norris, though. I mean, like that's that was their moment. Like open goal. It just sums up their season. And Brighton uh, somehow still in fourth. So, I mean, despite draws in the last three, they're they're clearly doing something right. It's just such an odd position to see them in. And and Norwich really, yeah, you're right, Jesse. They they could have and should have uh, made made the difference there and and lifted themselves off the bottom. But as it stands, Brighton are in fourth and. Norwich are bolted to the bottom of the table in 20th with two points. Potter's been focusing on potions and defense of the dark arts. <laughs> Manchester City, business as usual over Burnley, 2 0. There was no other result there other than maybe a 3 0 to City. Um, Zach <laughs> Steffen, the US international, got his first, or no, not his first, but he got a game for, for City um, with Edison coming back from South America. Do you have anything to say about this game, boys? It looked absolutely BAU to me. City were flat. They were really flat. Yeah, and like, I mean, you know, I had Murray's on my fantasy team, so I was uh, watching what he was doing, and uh, it wasn't a lot. And when he did do it, he hit the bar or missed, and then he lost his confidence, so he just started doing sideway passes for the rest of the game. And actually, that actually summed up most of the team. Like, even Foden, who's just been probably the most confident player in that team coming up to this game, got to a point about the 70 minute mark where he's just like, I don't really feel like dribbling anymore. And they just kind of just went through the motions for the last um, 20 minutes of the game. I, I guess they're focusing on the Champions League um, midweek now. So it just, City really, I mean, even the crowd like was super flat after the after the second half. This was a game that I felt like had been years in the planning for, for Sean Dyche because he'd been building basically a squad that didn't have any South Americans in it purely for the fact that they wouldn't be be then going away and getting getting stuck in hotel quarantine while uh, in the sort of the post-COVID world. So, uh, look, really disappointed for, for Sean Dice that didn't get the result that he was after, after obviously, uh, yeah, just unsurprisingly unaffected by any of the, the South Americans getting caught in, in hotel quarantine. They had chances though, Burnley, and, and, and Dyche did say after the game that you know, like if they were better at taking those um, rare chances, albeit um, they would actually that upset a few teams. But they just they had a couple of chances and snatched them, including uh, Mr. Wood, unfortunately. But I think are, it's we, are, are we renaming them Spurnley? <laughs> Spurnley chances. It reminded me of. of uh, Tell me the, turf uh, more. <laughs> it reminded me of that South Park episode, like uh, Stan Dash. Who went sparingly? Sean Dash. 
<laughs> Still to come this week, we've got Arsenal <laughs> Palace overnight tonight. By the time you're listening to this, uh, you'll know the result, but we don't know the result now. I was having a look at the, the record. Arsenal have got not, not the best record against Palace, and Palace have got a decent record against Arsenal. So, Tommy, how do you see this one going? Look, I just want to have a shout out for Jesse here. This is, I think, your your favourite fixture, isn't it? Ask cry. <laughs> it's a reverse cry ass. No, sorry. I thought you were a new ass fan, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, new ass is good as well. Really interesting battle of the 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 two ex uh, or the iconic two ex Arsenal captains in Vieira versus Arteta here. Um, Arteta's Arsenal have had a, a pretty good sort of uh, rebound after a bit of a tough start to the season, and no one really knows what to expect still from from Palace. I think they can show up some days and be good, can just be shit other days. Um, so it would be, it will be, I guess, a bit of a curious game. I'm not expecting it to be high scoring though. I could see this one being a, a bit dour, maybe maybe one max two goals in it though. I'm going one all. Typically that's how this fixture unfolds, but what happens with the Vera in charge? Um, that's that's the question mark for me. Is it's, It doesn't it doesn't scream like a game where Palace are just going to completely capsize like they may have previous years. Like I've just, I kind of feel like this is going to be a tasty one. And Palace might even steal it. I'm going to say well, 2-1 Palace. We just won't celebrate when they score, will he? He'll just, he'll just do the karma. Like, yeah, I'm going to say 2-1 uh, yeah. Palace. Oh, yeah, I, th- I, think Palace could, I think Palace could nick it as well. Although, you're right, Tommy, Arsenal have, have been in pretty decent form relative to their past standards uh, <laughs> recently. With a, You know, they've got three in their last five. So, not looking too bad. But Arsenal in 13th, Palace in 14th. Three points separates them. Palace, depending on the, the scores, could jump ahead of Arsenal on goal difference if they get up here. So, important game for, for Palace and, and and might be a decent one to watch. So, we'll, we'll see how that goes in the next couple of days. But that's going to do it for us tonight. Boys and everybody, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the show today, you can support us by uh, letting us know. Get into our DMs, gas us up on social media, uh, give us a follow on Twitter or Facebook or subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video version of this pod, which comes out a couple of days before the the audio version that you might be listening to now comes out and we'll link to all of those in the show notes. Next week, match day nine of the Premier League and the Champions League group stage continues. Till then, enjoy the football. 